Mrs. Vale. Another rooster in the hen house. <laughs> Take thy beak from out my heart. Bruce? Bruce Wayne, Nespa? Most of the time. Let me tell you about this guy I know, Jack. Mean kid, bad seed, hurt people. I like him already. <laughs> now, you know, the problem was he got sloppy, you know, crazy. He started to lose it. He had a head full of bad wiring, I guess. Couldn't keep it straight up here. He was the kind of guy who I couldn't hear the train until it was two feet from him. You know what happened to this guy, Jack? Wow. Made mistakes. And then he had us. There's lights out! Now you want to get nuts? Come on! Let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. <laughs> Never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> Why is it every time we get comfy? Somebody always gets in the way. I'll need a moment alone, boys. I'm only laughing on the outside. My smile is just skin deep. If you could see inside, I'm really crying. You might join me for a week. <laughs> God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 276, Batman. Ever since Licorice Pizza, I'm more interested in the John Peters producer career. It is a pretty storied career if you go through that filmography. Totally. This was one of the big hits. We're, of course, talking about the 1989 version the first Tim Burton directed one. Yep. Started a quadrilogy that would go into the 90s. Definitely an interesting project. Burton was just a weird director to hit it big, I guess. You wouldn't really expect his style 
to appeal to the mainstream, and it kind of did for a while. Yeah, this was only his third feature-length film. Yeah, yeah, but this is after Beetlejuice, right? It was Pee-wee, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice and this. Right. And he's on the map, he's off and running. Yeah, and he really had a charmed career for a long time. He seemed like he was going to be a player, although I guess... And he was, but I I, I guess this this would be the... What? Hard to sustain this. Well, no, I think it was this was the first taste of that cash. Yeah, yeah. Which he became enamored with with the Disney projects later. It is fun. Cash is fun. And now, I hate to say, but I I wouldn't be super interested in any new Tim Burton movies nowadays, but this is going to turn into a little bit of a, a Tim Burton year for us. This is the first one, but there will be more to come this year. Oh, good. We haven't done one yet. That's true, yeah. For a guy that had a definite significant run, he's been off of our uh, episode radar for a bit. Before we discuss Batman, a title that I know that people wanted us to do, we flirted with the idea at one point of doing a full Batman month. Oh, yeah. We're not going to do that, but stay tuned to the end of the episode because we'll we'll discuss some future Batman plans then. Before we get into all that, let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review if you get a chance on Apple Podcasts. That would be great. We love reading them. We delight in it. It's always a joy. Totally. If you'd like a free sticker, let us know on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Send us a message, slide into the DMs, whatever. We'll send it to you for free. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby, respectively. So let's get into it. 1989, Batman was directed by Tim Burton, screenplay by Sam Hamm and Warren Scarin, story by Sam Hamm, based on characters, of course, by DC Comics, Mm -hmm. created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, although he's only retroactively credited. Bob Kane was the longtime soul creator for a long time, and then they've given credit to Bill Finger as well. Not really going to get into all that in this episode, but that's a whole thing in and of itself. And you did see this not too long after its release. Yeah, on VHS, and probably a year or two after, maybe even the year that Returns came out. So it would have okay, been like... Yeah. 90, 91, 92, early 90s. It was much later for me. I was telling you before the show that I saw Returns earlier, and that was probably just because it was still pretty fresh. Batman Returns is probably like one of the earliest movies that I remember seeing and watching regularly. Wow. Yeah. I was obsessed with wanting to see Batman Returns, not unlike the situation with Summer of Sam, but it just didn't happen for whatever reason, and then I didn't see it until later. And I think my... Batman fever had dissipated by that point. For this one, I didn't see it until years later. I can't even remember when the first year I watched it was, but it might have even been like one of those TNT viewings even or something. Yeah, there's a lot of things to discuss with this movie and its place not only in Burton's career or movies in general at the end of the 1980s, but also Batman film history and Batman beyond film, just Batman in general. And how it feels very quaint in comparison to some of the monster movies that have come out from Christopher Nolan. And then the most recent one, 
this year, the oh, Batman yeah. and all that stuff, and how the, those movies seem a lot different and take it so much further as far as darkness and brooding. Yeah. But at the time, the leap to this movie from where people were mentally with right. Batman on a large scale was, I was saying to you, like jumping from VHS to DVD. It's the biggest change we'll ever get. People were used to the pow, zoom. Yeah. Now, I wasn't alive. Well, I was alive, but I wasn't conscious of the comic book world in yeah. the 1980s. But it seems to me that it was sort of a underground cool thing. Okay. It wasn't quite as lame as it would become during the low periods of the 90s when yeah. Marvel and DC were sort of struggling. Our coming of age era. Yeah, which I loved, like yeah. X-Men shit and stuff in Same. the 90s. But it was sort of the dark period, I guess, of comic book fandom. It wasn't as cool, but things were definitely changing, and, and those things we'll get into a little bit more as we go, but they had a huge influence on this movie and the tone of it Yeah, to get away from the Adam West Batman that most people were familiar with, because most people maybe read comics when they were kids, but they weren't up to date with Batman lore. They knew the television right. show, and that was the definitive Batman for people. And this movie, though it may seem lame in comparison sure. to what would come later is hugely different and completely changed superhero movies in general because there's you could argue that it starts in 1978 with Superman but there almost seems to be like this disconnect from that because it took so long to get to this movie yeah even though they wanted to get to it much quicker that this movie feels much more of an influence on what would come after even though it would take Another decade to get to totally, X-Men totally. and Spider-Man and all that shit. Yeah, but another thing we talked about, and I remember reading about it, is even the Batman animated series, it having like a dark feel to it, Yeah, came from this. Yeah, Batman the animated series almost feels like it was using Batman and Batman Returns more than the comic books. I mean, there was some comic yeah. book stuff too, and a lot of the people that worked on the show, I think, did comics as well, but... It took the visual cues from those movies, and it was probably pitched that way. Yeah. Like, this will be a cartoon to go along with this stuff. But even as a kid, I was consciously able to recognize that this is kind of weird and unique that this animated series is, like, so dark. Like, it's so different from every other cartoon that was, like, available to kids. Are you saying, like, visually dark? Because it was it was I'm, mostly, like, darker colors, and but a I've, lot of it took place at night. Yeah. It just had a dark feel to it. Yeah, which it I wasn't like a it. super dark tone. Oh, yeah. Somewhat, was, though. Yeah, somewhat, but yeah. not like crazy. Sure. People didn't know, die like, on it or yeah, things like that. Yeah, I know, that. but listen, it was a lot different than most cartoons I was watching. The budget for Batman was $48 million. The box office ended up being $411.6 It was a huge hit. It won one Oscar Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, which we'll talk about as we discuss the movie. Gotham looks incredible. There's something cool and right for the time yeah. for Nolan to pull 2005 and be like, hey, we're going to just shoot this in Chicago and make Gotham a real place. And that works great. And it was what was needed after the Schumacher films. But I don't think any version of batman anywhere ever has created this unique of a gotham that yeah. sticks in your mind 
and feels like its own place it's because like it doesn't exist anywhere. Otherworldly. It's incredible. Tim Burton was coming off of the Beetlejuice success, and he made Batman his thing, and it, it sort of pulled into his world, both aesthetically and with his sensibilities. I think Nicholson really embraces the Tim Burton sensibilities in his portrayal it's, of Joker. It's really wild watching. Nicholson is, of course, one of the most iconic actors of all time, and I think he's really strong in this role, but it, there's something that seems a little too... I don't know. It's like a little too out there, but it it works. I'm not like against it. It just seems different than anything he's done. Yeah. Well, we'll, t- we'll get into that more, but he really was pleased with himself in this movie. I think, <laughs> look, if you want to get into the lore of this movie, you could say like Nicholson and, and John Peters were rewriting the script at times. I'm sure Burton was rewriting the script. There's I did rumors see that, that Basinger rewrote scenes wow. for herself. I did see that Nicholson had all sorts of like wild creative control type things. Well, yeah, it was like his shooting schedule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was all around Lakers games and whatnot, even though they were in England. Numerous A-list actors were considered for the role of Batman before Michael Keaton was cast. Keaton's casting was controversial since by 1988 he had become typecast as a comedic actor and many observers doubted he could portray a serious role to me it's one of those things that remains weird even like to this day not like i'm like oh man this doesn't work but it just seems crazy that that's where it landed i get burton he's coming off of working with keaton he's like this is the guy i want for but it just seems crazy that that's who they would land on for batman Nicholson accepted the role of the Joker under strict conditions that dictated top billing, which he gets. That's awesome. A portion of the film's earnings, including associated merchandise and his own shooting schedule. We'll get into that more as we go. I do think that if you pay attention to this movie and how they set up the story, you could make the case that this is the Joker's movie in a lot of ways at least as equal to Batman, if not more. He does seem like a deeper character than Batman does. Yeah, I think that was a conscious choice on Sam Hamm's part. He wanted to jump into Batman already existing. He did yeah. not want to do an origin story. That was a, a conscious choice. But it definitely is like a Joker origin story. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, yeah. It, it be kind of becomes his movie. This is the modern brooding Batman, which was coming of age in the 1980s. The major influences on this film were The Killing Joke, written by Alan Moore with Brian Boland, which was released in 88. That's one of the more darker graphic novels of Batman, where Joker paralyzes Commissioner Gordon's daughter, and it gets really rapey and weird, and it's sort of a dark story. And then, of course, The Dark Knight Returns, written by Frank Miller, which came out in 86. And these two books were huge for Batman people and really shaped where Batman was headed as a character and became huge influences on this particular story. The film also primarily adapts and diverts at the same time from the quote-unquote Red Hood origin story for the Joker having Batman inadvertently cause gangster Jack Napier to fall into Axis chemical acid, triggering his transformation into the psychotic Joker. What's the Red Hood backstory? Just the highlights. The only thing I know is from the animated film Red Hood. Is that... Which is a separate character who you never know who it is. Right. Because Joker, that's 
one of the many things that the this diehards complained about. The Jason Todd thing, or no? Okay, I don't know. Who, I don't know what you. Mean I thought that it. was the Joker. Or sorry, the Robin that Joker kills or whatever. No, no, no. Red Hood is an unknown person who becomes Joker. Okay, he has no backstory, and that's one of the complaints that people had about this movie was that. Jack Napier is this guy, and you know who he is, and then he becomes the Joker. And, yeah. But it's the same origin thing. He falls into the chemicals. That's, right. That's how it starts in Red Hood and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah, because that's what I've always known it as, just falling into this giant whatever this stuff is supposed to be. There were a few changes made in the film from the pre-established history from decades worth of comics and whatnot. But this was pre-internet, so it was pre-Twitter bullshit, pre-trolls. But <laughs> yeah. a lot of people did write letters voicing their complaints about oh my Keaton God. being cast. Yeah. But they didn't know, obviously, going in what they were going to change. And the, and the big one becomes this Jack Napier character, his involvement in the murder of Bruce's parents and changing yeah. that all around and sort of forming that to fit that this story. That is kind of lame. It is, but I get it. Yeah. Because when you're making this movie, you yeah. think this is the only thing that's going to exist. Right. And so you're like, well, how do we simplify this? That's true. For the people who don't read the comics and don't know anything. Yeah, yeah. And give it a little more depth. It's sort of like how <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character's name is Robin at the end of the yeah, movie. Yeah. And people are like, what What does that mean? That wasn't Robin's real name. It's like, yeah, but it's just a nod so right. that people will get it. You know. Yeah. Although I like that more than I like the Joker killing Bruce Wayne's parents. Well, I have a theory about that. We'll get to it. Okay. (laughs) I was never a giant comic book fan, but I've always loved the image of Batman and the Joker. The reason I've never been a comic book fan, and I think it started when I was a child, is because I could never tell which box I was supposed to read. I don't know if it was dyslexia or whatever, but that's why I love the killing joke, because for the first time I could tell which one to read. It's my favorite. It's the first comic I've ever loved. And the success of those graphic novels made our ideas more acceptable. That is a quote from Tim Burton. Which, if a director admitted something like that now, going into a superhero movie, people would crucify them. (laughs) Like, I don't really give a shit about comics. Cancel Tim Burton. Yeah. Everyone was pretty familiar with the Adam West Batman, though. And even if you go back and you listen to like old Kevin Smith podcasts talking about this time period and going to see this Batman movie and his comic book collecting and stuff. I sort of take his reaction to it to be an example of how a lot of people did, which was like sort of come into it with their nose up a little bit and then realizing like, holy shit, this is the real deal. Because I think people were a little more open pre-internet to seeing the improvement Rather than just seeing like, well, this isn't good enough. Yeah. If you know what I'm saying. Oh, I do. Because obviously everyone's used to this Adam West Batman. Right. But they want the real Batman. They want the Dark Knight Returns. Beats some ass, yeah. And so this is like head and shoulders closer to that. And you're like, holy shit. Right. Because before it exists at all, you think it's impossible. Now it would be- seem crazy to think like, well... I know. A superhero movie isn't going to work. Like, we can't get this made. What's going to happen? But n- back then, it was like, well, there's never been a cool Batman movie. Yeah. So. I, I was trying to get myself back in that mindset as I was watching this. But so much has changed, like, since then. Not just for Batman, but even, like, action movies in general. Like, I think, like, action was just, like, way more tame in the 80s than it is now, where it's just, 
Sometimes. What, these, there was definitely crazy action movies. Sure. In the well, 80s. over the top, yeah. But like this shit with like Fast and the Furious series and Mission Impossible where everything's like these insane 25 minute like yeah, but driving <laughs> tanks off of like skyscrapers. The budgets are yeah. like super high and they I use know. a lot of CGI and a yeah, lot of yeah. stuff that just didn't exist right. back then. And this was all done primarily on sound stages and, and stuff like that. I think it's much more of a contained feeling thing. 48 million was a lot back then, but it's not so much where they could just do whatever they want. Yeah. And obviously, they're paying Nicholson a lot of money. But they do do a lot of cool stuff. Once they get to like the Batwing stuff, I thought that all looked like really good. Yeah, and I think they Burton wants to make it look like it's his style, and I don't know that Burton necessarily has ever been like an action director. True. So he wants to fit it into his world. And so yeah, there was still some influence from the Adam West Batman and the the previous iterations. Like it wasn't going for these huge set pieces necessarily right. all the time. I would love to know who these people were like clamoring for. I do think the Keaton thing is sort of weird that he ends up being the guy, but who did people want in 89? Well, maybe we'll get to it. Okay. I'm sure pe- That's a little tease. If it would have been Costner or Wow. There were like a lot of huge stars. I'm sure, sure they would have sure, wanted sure. any of them. Yeah, okay. Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise, I don't yeah. know, who knows. At one point in the early 80s, it was going to be made with Bill Murray as Batman, directed by Ivan Reitman, with wow. Eddie Murphy as Robin. <laughs> I think if that I'm would have happened, in that version, yeah. we wouldn't be living in a world of superhero movies. Superhero <laughs> movies would, would have ended. Yeah. <laughs> Parallel to the Superman casting a decade earlier, a who's who of Hollywood top stars were considered for the role of Batman, including Mel Gibson. Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, Tom Selleck, whoa, Bill Murray, Tom Selleck. Harrison Ford, and Dennis Quaid. They're like trying to tell Selleck to shave the mustache. Won't do it. Burton was pressured by Warner Brothers to cast an obvious action movie star and had approached Pierce Brosnan, but Brosnan had no interest in playing a comic book character. Burton was originally interested in casting an unknown actor, Willem Dafoe, who was falsely reported to be considered for the Joker but had actually been considered for Batman early in development. Huh. Okay. It was actually producer John Peters who suggested Michael Keaton, arguing he had the right edgy, tormented quality after having seen his dramatic performance in Clean and Sober. And so Burton agreed, having just directed Keaton in Beetlejuice. Yeah, I don't know. I guess when you go through the list, I'm like, eh, there's not anyone that I'm like, yeah, that would have been my pick. Obviously, there was a negative response from the comic book people i think they thought they were going to make it like the 1960s tv series and make it campy because they thought of michael keaton from mr mom and night shift and stuff like that keaton studied the dark knight returns for inspiration joker was much more set in stone in the sense that they always wanted nicholson but i think the story with him was they could never really get him nailed down to commit to it so there was always other discussions. Tim Curry, David Bowie, John Lithgow, Brad Dourif, Ray Liotta, and James Woods were considered for the Joker. Oh, boy. The closest I think anyone got was Robin Williams. You can see that. Who really lobbied for the part. And then I think at one point it got a little crazy with a, a potential offer out to Williams that then they rescinded when... Nicholson took it and he held that against them and 
I don't know that he ever made another Warner Brothers movie after that. Robin Williams. Yeah, wow. and they wanted him potentially to play the Riddler, and he refused. It kind of yeah, got a I little messy. It. I like that. I like holding the grudge. So it was a long, long, long journey to the screen, starting in the 70s off of the success of Superman in 1978. Many scripts, many potential directors, even more casting rumors than the one we've already talked about. Seemingly endless. Burton is the one who approaches Sam Hamm to write the script due to Hamm being a comic book fan. Hamm decided not to use an origin story, feeling that flashbacks would be more suitable. I do like that. I do find an origin story to be a bit of a drag. And that unlocking the mystery would be part of the storyline. In other words, you sort of jump into it already in motion, and then you get it as you go. Like, why did he become Batman? That is a better approach, for sure. It's early Batman career, but not quite an adaptation of year one, which was also written by Frank Miller, which came out in 87. Batman Year One is another classic oh, yeah. book. It's also been adapted into a, a, an animated film in the last decade or so when they've been doing yep. all of those. That incorporates like a, a Selena Kyle character, and it's like when he's literally starting and then all of the the new stuff I, going like, on and it's really like a young jim gordon is really the main character yeah this is sort of like that except you're skipping over the very beginning and then it's not really an adaptation of that story but it's that yeah. same time period where right. he's not really established yet he's new to the scene but it's not like oh this is a story of him creating the bat suit yeah yeah and all that shit Burton was attracted to it because he saw it as like a duel of the freaks. You have two sides of the coin, both of these outsiders from society for sure. squaring off. Something that Nolan would really dial in on for The Dark Knight, too. Yeah. Danny Elfman, what can be said? An yeah, iconic definitely. score for the ages. They used it, or variations of it, for the cartoon as well. Yeah, and throughout this whole whatever, you know, yeah. the four, this series really just a part of my life in the 90s in a way that's almost impossible to quantify yeah yeah. i know it's (laughs) you can so easily get that main tune just like stuck in your head yeah this movie is strange it shouldn't work it's too long for the material that they give you you end up not really caring all there's a bunch of of scenes that feel like completely odd and just thrown in there the stuff with when he's like walking into the place with like a boombox on his shoulder, the party man. Scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Sure. When we get to it, because I know. that's the whole thing with Prince. There's a lot of oddities to it, though. This whole movie. Yeah, and you don't end up caring a ton about certain aspects of the story. You almost are confused by it sometimes. There's things in it that almost seem to be done intentionally to piss off the diehard comic yeah, book yeah. fans, like having Alfred just bring Vicky to the Batcave that for some reason. just seems so insane and out of place. <laughs> but it ultimately works because of the cult of personality yeah, yeah. with Nicholson just completely hamming it up in yeah, such his an performance absurd way. Yeah, his performance is just such a joy to watch. And he's actually got great chemistry with Keaton, he probably has better chemistry with Keaton than Keaton does with Basinger. Not that they have bad chemistry, but their scenes are also odd. Well, even their way that like their character's relationship comes together, it just seems like a little, I don't know, it's like turbulent. 
It's not. Yeah, very you're smooth. not really sure why she likes him, other than the obvious, which is like he's rich. Right. And you're like, is that really enough? It it, it seems kind of shallow on her part because he doesn't seem like someone she would be into or anyone would. Sure. But yeah, it, it, it ultimately works somehow. I think a huge part of it is the sense of place that it creates. As I mentioned, it's a Gotham City unlike any other that's ever really been put to screen. It's so memorable. And then you have these larger-than-life characters that get to play in it, and you don't really care about the Smilex storyline that much. Even though it's dominant. Yeah, it's what moves it forward. Yeah. It's what leads to a confrontation, but you don't care what it is. You're just right, like, just right. get them together. Yeah, we yeah. know they're supposed to fight. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> the ending is completely insane, and we'll get to it when we get to it. Burton didn't even really have much to do with it as far as what they were doing because it was completely rewritten without oh, wow. his knowledge, and they just that. sort of go with it. Which is probably another reason why it kind of feels a little clumsy. Well, the ending is the most clumsy part yeah. because it doesn't seem like it was really thought out what was even happening. They're just like, well, we're in a tower now, so let's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think John Peters' influence on the film is huge. I think he was involved in tons of aspects. He had so much control over it, and Burton was still such a new director on the scene. I think he was overshadowed a lot in some of these decisions. That's what it seems like when it came to some of that stuff. But it was ultimately a huge success, and then he returns for the sequel in three years. Oh, yeah. And this allows him the leeway to make some of his other weird movies, like Edward Scissorhands and whatnot, right? with big budgets, and go from there. The opening shot is of Gotham City. It seems to be a painting. Yes. It looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. The set design throughout, of course, is incredible. It's a, a, a filming tactic that has disappeared in the age of CGI, but... When you watch those old movies where it's just like a setting is a painting. Yeah, and then you'll have like little lights yeah, moving yeah. across that make it look like something's happening. I do think that the set decoration and the, the unique sense of place here is probably one of the main reasons that the two Burton Batman films endure so much. Yeah. Even when huge advancements are made in every other aspect. Right. Because like I said, it's hard to recapture that kind of magic. And it may be one of... The the big things that this film has even over Batman Returns. Batman Returns is awesome too as far as like a location, but this one just feels like the right combination of a bunch of different things. Of course, aside from Nicholson in this one and and Pfeiffer in Returns. Those oh, things yeah. also endure yeah. as well. It was all shot in Pinewood Studios, which is a soundstage in England. I know. So weird. These big-ass movies all are filmed almost entirely in sound stages. I could be wrong, but I think Pinewood is the one that Kubrick used a lot, maybe. That and seems right. I'm going to go out on seems a limb. Right. Maybe is, is that the same one Cameron used for Aliens? I, I know, know we talked about yeah. that at one point. Nolan brought Batman into the real world, and before that, Shoemaker pushed it to the cartoony extreme. But this is the sweet spot. It's a strange mix of either the 40s or 50s Americana but also the New York City of the late 1980s. Yeah, with just a gloom over it. And a future world of fantasy. Yeah. There's also like technology that doesn't exist. Yeah. And the cartoon did the same thing. We have an opening Batman encounter with two criminals, and we just are thrown right into it. You get to see the bat suit for the first time. There's that rooftop location, the Very bat stiff, gadgets. I would say. Very stiff. 
Batman. It is, but, but it looks awesome. Yeah, true. Again, that's another one of those things that you have to go back into the mindset yeah. of jumping into this movie. No bat suit had looked like this anywhere. Right, right. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit, this actually looks tough. Definitely. It's not spandex. Yeah, true. True, he couldn't really move his head. Yeah. And that's sort of a joke that they get into in the Nolan stuff. Right. Don't kill me. Don't kill me, man. Don't kill me. Don't kill me, man. I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Keaton utters the immortal line, I'm Batman, which is something that I guess he improvised that. It was oh, really? it was like I'm, I'm it was supposed to be I'm I'm vengeance. I don't think it was vengeance, I think it was I'm the night or I'm darkness okay, yeah, or something yeah. and it became one of the film's iconic moments. Totally. And it was also his idea to use a lower register voice. Something that uh, would also be reused in later interpretations. Pretty much every Batman after this did that. Yeah. Because he was having that concern, sort of the Clark Kent Superman thing of like, well, aren't people going to know it's me? I need <laughs> to like change it up a little bit. Right. And he doesn't go over the top with it like Christian it's Bale not or like anything. The growl, yeah. It might be hard to imagine today, but it's literally impossible to describe how cool this version of Batman was in 1989. And I think just from this opening sequence, a lot of the comic book nerds had to have had their fears alleviated. Like, okay, this is awesome. In fact, because of all of the hubbub over the Keaton casting and the rumors about this movie, I think they they rushed like a a hot trailer out to get like the Christmas before... People were all of a sudden like, okay. Yeah, yeah they got I'm that in. trailer out and it was like, oh, you get a sh- shot of like the Batmobile and this all that shit. This is for me. As Gotham City approaches its bicentennial, Mayor Borg uh. orders District Attorney Harvey Dent and Police Commissioner Gordon to make the city safer by this incarcerating guy. mob boss Carl Grissom. Sort of like a fucking Mayor Vaughn type. This bicentennial will go on. I believe I have that in the notes. Okay. Yes, there is some Jaws <laughs> vibes. So we meet a couple of people here. Harvey Dent, played by Billy D. Williams. He originally was going to come back later as Two-Face and well, Harvey Dent. It's almost bizarre that he's in it. I get the idea of planting the seed of the Harvey Dent character yeah. and not planning on pulling the trigger on it in this movie. In fact, when The Dark Knight came out, I did not think that they were going with the Two-Face angle in that movie. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's a whole other story, but... I think that's kind of a cool idea to start building something, but they don't really give him a lot in this movie either. Which I think is part of why they had to convince him with the idea that he would be more prominently featured down the road. Right. Ultimately, they didn't want to use him, and they had to buy him out of his contract when they wanted to cast Tommy Lee Jones yeah. in Batman Forever. The first clue should have been that his character's not even in Batman Returns at all. Commissioner Gordon, played by Pat Hingle, not really a factor in the movie very much. No, He's an older guy. Not bringing a lot to the character either. Grissom is played by Jack Palance Hell in an yeah. insane role. City Slickers. He might be the most over-the-top person yeah. in a movie with Jack Nicholson playing the Joker. <laughs> He's so like oh, I know. larger than life yeah. with his... I don't know what he's doing. Mannerisms. It's crazy. Simultaneous to the heat on Grissom being increased, 
his sociopathic second-in-command, Jack Napier, is secretly having an affair with Grissom's lady friend, Hmm. Alicia Hunt. A dangerous game, I'd say. Napier, played by Jack Nicholson, of course, and Alicia Hunt, played by Jerry Hall, of all people. Ooh. Long-time partner of Mick Jagger, model, etc., not really like a big time actress. She didn't really act in like a ton of stuff. Yeah, well. sort of a weird casting move. Not like a huge part, really. Sure, not a ton of lines. Criminals are spreading word of this giant bat, this monster figure that comes out of the shadows to spoil their plans. This gets the attention of reporter Alexander Knox, played by Robert Wool. Mm. Not Albert Brooks, as I said earlier. <laughs> It'd be a much different and probably better movie. Yeah. He is an Albert Brooks type, I'd say. And then eventually photojournalist Vicky Vale, played by Kim Basinger. Lighten it up, I'd say. Who begin investigating sightings of this so-called bat vigilante targeting Gotham's criminals. One of the things that seems completely insane in retrospect and could definitely be filed under a Batman problem is the bob wool situation in this movie yes not that he's bad i think people over exaggerate how bad he is it's just a question of how much he's involved for the first yeah 60 to 70 percent of the movie he doesn't really factor much into the end but he's in a lot of it i know and you're like who is this character he's not really bringing that much interest i think he's supposed to be funny but it's it doesn't it wasn't age great. Landing for me. Yeah, he's great in Bull Durham. I don't oh, yeah. hate him, but no, no. I just don't really know if he fits into this movie. I guess they wanted to have like a. It's, it's a lot of lines for a character that it just feels like is unnecessary. I guess they wanted to have a way for Vicky Vale to be connected to Batman, and, and it was 1989. People weren't ready for a lady journalist. <laughs> They're like, it, she just can't be the writer. Yeah, yeah. She can take pictures, though, I guess. Imagine this is your coworker, though. Well, I don't think she works for the newspaper. I think she's like freelance. Yeah. She seems okay. to be coming from war zones and whatnot. Professional colleague. It was originally written to be Silver St. Cloud, who is a real character. Okay. In Batman lore, she's like the daughter of a gangster in some sort of comics or whatever. Ham decides to change it to a, an original creation, Vicky Vale. This is the only appearance of Vicky Vale in any Batman-related thing, I believe. Originally cast as Sean Young, oh. and I guess it's time to talk about the Sean Young fiasco. Sure. That really is embarrassing. Okay. But it reminded me of some of the embarrassing cringe I read about Kate Winslet with Rose and Titanic where you're like, well, if they get the part, it doesn't Less seem cringe. embarrassing. Right. It works out. Eh, you're okay. So the story is that young gets cast and is injured in a horseback riding incident. And so is replaced by Kim Basinger. I wonder what that injury was. Bob wool has disputed this, I think, or maybe John Peter. I can't remember. Somebody disputed okay. this later, but I, that's the story. They said like, Oh, maybe she just wasn't working out, whatever. But I think that she was injured and they just replaced her. This might be more of a story for a Batman Returns podcast, but I feel like we might as well just do it now because she was cast as Vicky Vale. So they go to cast Catwoman for Batman Returns. And there's a famous story and I think pictures. I don't think there's a video. If there is, I haven't seen it. But she like dresses up in her own 
costume for this audition oh, no. and she's like really lobbying hard to be Catwoman. Yikes. This is like a Mahalan drive. It's sort of considered like this cringe moment, but I think the sad truth is that I think that this stuff is probably super common. Sure. Really trying hard to lobby for parts and sometimes yeah. it gets a little embarrassing. I mean, this stuff is life changing for them. No, I know. You get it. I'm not shitting on her. I like her yeah. from Blade Runner and I like her from No Way Out, which is a great no, movie. No, I know. I'm I'm convincing myself because I totally <laughs> want to goof on this. Like, the pictures are embarrassing. But that's the thing, like if you can get yourself in this position, yeah. It's just it could be a completely different career. Like if she's this chick in Blade Runner and Catwoman. But you have to remember Blade Runner was ten years earlier. Yeah. Wow. And by ninety two, people weren't really looking for Sean Young anymore. And I think that Michelle Pfeiffer was just a huge star sure. at that point. So if I was Sean Young dressed up as Catwoman and I see Michelle Pfeiffer walk <laughs> through that door, I'm just like, all right, you know what? <laughs> I'm walking out. Yeah, it, it just sucks that she missed her big opportunity to be Vicky Vale because that would have been like another huge movie for her and her career would probably right. have gone a lot differently, but it just didn't happen. I think Peters or somebody really wanted Michelle Pfeiffer to play Vicky Vale. No. Oh. Thank God this didn't happen. Yeah. So we could get what we got in Batman Returns. The story was that either Keaton was dating Pfeiffer or had dated Pfeiffer, and there was like this fear that it would be awkward. Weird. But I guess they got over it for Batman Returns. Yeah. I'll tell you what, they had that chemistry going yeah, too. His chemistry with Pfeiffer in Returns is way more, right. I think, than Basinger in this movie. I know. These two do kind of seem like two pieces of cardboard talking to each other at parts of this one. I think Basinger might have more chemistry with Nicholson. But yeah. then again, who I would have chemistry. Totally. With yeah, he's got that charisma. He's just like a walking erection. <laughs> <laughs> We're also introduced to corrupt police lieutenant Max Eckhart, played yeah. by William Hootkins. Just a complete slob of a human being. Well, he did play Porkins in Star Wars. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Knox and Vale attend a fundraiser hosted by billionaire industrialist Bruce Wayne, who, of course, is secretly Batman- which brings me to one of my first thoughts. I think we've gotten so accustomed to it now because everyone knows everything and there's no surprises anyway with superhero movies. But even in 1989, you have all this casting news about the film and all of the pre-existing knowledge of Batman. So everyone knows who Batman is the whole time. Yeah. But they also know in this particular instance, because it's this movie with this casting, they see Jack Nicholson as this Jack Napier guy, and you're like, well, this is the Joker. And yet this movie has to dedicate the first 25 minutes or so to setting this all up, where you're like, oh, Bruce Wayne is Batman. Oh, this right. Jack Napier guy is going to turn into the Joker. Yeah. But we already knew that. Like We already know when the movie starts. And that's like the weird thing about these movies sometimes is, okay, well, you know how this is going to go, but we still have to do it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> It is funny, though, yeah, like it not being a, a Batman origin story. The first act of the movie is Jack Napier becoming Joker, more so than anything else. Yeah, and Nolan decided to go the opposite way. He dedicates a whole movie to Batman's origin story, and then Joker just arrives right. as is. Yeah. Which, if you're not going to do the whole Red Hood thing, is probably the preferred way of doing it. Like, who the fuck is this guy? We don't even know. Yeah. And then, he, you know, he changes his backstory several times in the film, and he's just a nobody. Not that we should spend a ton of time on The Dark Knight, because obviously it's just a different And we did it on this we've podcast. we've done it. But, like, Heath Ledger in that Joker role. Like, because I, I think when people saw this Batman movie, Jack Nicholson, it's like, yes, this is... 
the Joker. Like, this is the definitive Joker performance, and there will never be one better. Like, I would think that probably. Yeah, everybody thought that. Yeah, yeah. And then Heath Ledger comes out, and you're just like, nope. nope. <laughs> like, yeah, it just was a completely different approach Sure. to what it was. I think there was still a lot of influence from... Not just the 60s TV series, but just the more tamer pre-1980 right. stuff. It was like a little bit goofy, but also the f- probably the first time that they ever incorporated like murder in- and death and weird shit in it, too. It- it's just a totally. mishmash of a yeah, bunch yeah. of different stuff. And I think they wanted Nicholson's character to be crazy, but like in more of a goofy way. I know, like they still were going for laughs, even though he's murdering people. Yeah. During the event... Bruce becomes infatuated with Vale, no surprise, <laughs> but interrupts their time together to secretly pursue Gordon when he leaves on police business. It is funny how quick this relationship comes together, isn't it? Yeah, she's like, fucking him immediately, <laughs> yeah. saying she loves him based on almost nothing. I love it. I know. Grissom has sent Napier to raid a company they control called Axis Chemicals, to retrieve incriminating evidence. However, it's just a cover to have Napier killed for sleeping with Alicia. I did like how at the party we have now a second person in Bruce Wayne after Knox who recognize Vale's work and know her name immediately. Everyone's just tuned into photographic work. I know. Yeah. (laughs) We have Michael Goff as... Alfred, and he is the only continuity over That's the right. four films I in know. this quadrilogy. Wild. Several other Batmans are going to jump in at different points. And, and everyone else, yeah. We'll get Robin eventually, Batgirl, lots of villains, no villain carryover. Yeah, this guy, really dedicated to playing Alfred. The Batcave, we get our first look. It's sort of a retro future thing where it's simultaneously old and futuristic, just like everything else in yeah, the movie. This is the definitive Batcave look, which is weird, because you're like, okay, it's just like a bunch of rock walls and everything, yet then all of a sudden, like the most high-tech computer system that you've ever seen. Like, Isn't that is the joy yeah. <laughs> of comic books? Yeah, yeah. Just to sure. do shit that you imagine, right. even if it doesn't really make sense yeah, or yeah. couldn't really exist. Just a wild amount of extension cords needed to... <laughs> Well, I just assume that like all of those rocks are hollowed out and there's like stuff connecting upstairs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Although Eckhart arranges the hit on Jack Napier by conducting an unauthorized police operation, Gordon does arrive, takes command, and orders the officers to instead capture Napier alive as a potential witness against Grissom. Mm, Rico. Batman arrives on the scene seeking to back up Gordon in his attempt to apprehend Napier. But Batman is forced to let Napier go when Napier's pal Bob the Goon, played by Tracy Walter, puts a gun to Corden's head. So instead, Napier shoots and kills Eckhart as revenge for double-crossing him. Batman and Napier briefly tangle. A bullet ricochets off of Batman's armor, injuring Napier's face, causing him to topple off of a catwalk and fall into a vat of acidic chemicals. Part of Nicholson's ridiculous deal which we're going to get into now is the casting of his friend tracy walter in the movie who nicholson directed in going south from the 70s and tracy walter was very much a part of that crew because devito is in that movie as well and i think tracy walter is in virtually all of the movies devito directed okay He's in a lot of shit, even outside of Nicholson and DeVito projects. I think you would recognize him from a lot of different things, mostly 
character actor work. Sure, yeah. Nicholson took slightly less money, I think, than was initially reported. I think his salary was $11 million, but he actually only took six, and then he took this back-end deal, which has been estimated to have been worth about $90 million to him for this movie. (laughs) Yeah, good for him. And it might be up there among the most money anyone's made from one movie. Because he didn't just get the box office gross, it was merchandising merchandising and everything else that came later. He's probably still getting checks for this movie. Good for him. He's pushing for those 4K re-releases. Like, yes, (laughs) please. Glad to see it worked out for that kid. Well, I guess we can just talk about his career in general here as well but first i want to cover some of the other stuff the favorable shooting schedule around basketball conflicts that's great and it did become one of his favorite roles at one point nicholson was known to screen the film once a week in his house oh he was very pleased with his performance good but i do think that if you look at nicholson's career he was a legitimate actor and also a movie star, and he doesn't necessarily disappear much into a lot of his roles. He Correct. basically just you're, does you're a like, variation of yeah, himself. Yeah. There is a difference between the neurotic version of him in As Good As It Gets and like the charismatic version of him in Cuckoo's Nest or something. Sure. But yeah. he never disappears into the part or anything. But when you look back at his career, you can say, well, he had The Departed very close to the end of his career, but... What would be his like most known role to people who are a little bit younger who aren't going to deep dive into 70s cinema? And it's like, I think the Joker became this huge, iconic thing for him. Probably, yeah. Towards the midway point of his career out of nowhere. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's probably the thing that touches mainstream audiences the most of everything that he's done. Not that he hasn't done other big movies, but this is just like a big character. Yeah, because with inflation, we know Cuckoo's Nest was also an enormous movie. Definitely. But at a certain point, it, it, it fades into no a different time period. No fucking action figures of his <laughs> character from they, There Nest. might be some Other somewhere. than you and me. <laughs> I also think Bob the Goon was an inspiration for Silent Bob, I believe. I've heard oh, really? Kevin Smith tell that story. Okay. The trench coat. Bob, that's his top guy, right? His number one. Yeah. <laughs> God. Which seems weird that he's pointing that out. Bob almost gets like, well, he was what? imitating Grissom. Yeah, Grissom yeah. does that to him. Right. He was, yeah. And so he's doing like a Jack Palance impression. Bob just seems so throwaway and he gets like kind of a lot of screen time. He actually talks more than you would think, though, because I remember hearing Kevin Smith say that on a podcast. And so then my memory of the movie becomes this guy doesn't talk. Yeah. Well, he must yeah. not talk. Well, he does talk. Sure. Let him go or I'll do Gordon. <laughs> And people are like, well, we liked it better when he didn't talk. <laughs> what does this film say about women? <laughs> let's just let's go there now. I don't know. Vicky's going strong. to date this fucking dude just because he's mega rich. That's what it seems like. Oh, yeah. He's a flake. And going right for it, too. And he's really weird. Not a lot of chemistry. He doesn't seem charming. She goes to have dinner at his house. They sit at that really long table. I know. It's like cold. It's very cold. Which seems like a weird move, and then... It's like a romance from a Kubrick movie. I know he's being genuine when and not trying to be like a dick when he says, I don't think I've ever been in this room, but it comes off as like, well, maybe... Is he just bragging about how big his house is? Yeah. I don't think he is, but... It's not but the only thing. I don't know. And then they do. They they fuck on the first date. Yeah. Wild. Just putting it out there. <laughs> well, must be nice to be Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Although presumed dead... 
Napier does survive with various disfigurements, including chalk white skin and green hair and fingernails. He undergoes some secretive underground surgery to repair the damage, but ends up with a rictus grin. Yes. This is the transformation into Joker. That you, Sugar Bumps? Who the hell are you? It's me, Sugar Bumps. Oh, oh, thank God you're alive. I heard you Fried. Is that what you heard? You set me up over a woman. A woman! You must be insane. Don't bother. Your life won't be worth spit! I've been dead once already. It's very liberating. You should think of it as, uh, therapy. <laughs> Jack, listen. Maybe we can cut a deal. Jack? Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. And as you can see, I'm a lot happier. Driven completely insane by his new appearance, the Joker kills Grissom at his estate, massacres Grissom's associates, and takes over his operations. The crime syndicate. Absolutely hilarious when he confronts Grissom, and he's like, you screwed me over a woman? A woman? (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Heavy newspaper presence in this movie. One of the things that... That's definitely true, puts yeah. it in a different era. They are like always looking at newspapers. Yeah. Newspaper people are Headlines characters. popping up on the screen. Gotham City. Always brings a smile to my face. Wing freak. Terrorizes. Get a load of me. Wait till they get a load of me, is what he says. And then he makes those weird owl sounds or whatever. That's true. The article is it's the whole like freak thing. Like that what is this Batman terrorizing the city? This is a movie about being jealous over headlines, basically. They're competing over yeah, who is going to have the attention of the city. And Vicky Vale. Ooh. Ooh. It just makes... There is a lot of odd shit in this so movie. I know. <laughs> I don't know that they would let 
an actor just sort of do his thing like this now in a movie like this. Because you can be like, oh, well, the Riddler in the new Batman is like way more fucked up. And it's like, yeah, but I, I still have the feeling he's coloring within the lines. Yeah. Like everything he's doing is part of what he's supposed to he's be doing. He's not unhinged. I don't think they wrote ooh, ooh no. into this script. <laughs> Nicholson's just doing weird shit yeah, all the I time. Know. And that stuff is what makes this movie entertaining. Totally. All these years later when you're rewatching it for a podcast, you're like, what is he doing now? Why is he doing this? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> when he kills that one gangster, it's just a smoking skeleton. And there really is like an odd macabre touch to some of this sure, stuff. That definitely. It's dark in a different way. Out of how dark all of the Batman movies would be after this, they didn't have fucking weird smoking skeletons. That is a Tim Burton thing for sure. Definitely. But it all seems sort of comical at the same time. Yeah. It's got a weird tone. Right. But like at the same time, they're not doing smoking skeletons. Because to a little kid, that is like, what the fuck? That is traumatizing. This guy's skin just melted off. I do love the Joker stuff where... His face is the white face. Right. And then, so they came up with this way. I know. It was really this hard cool. to do. Yeah. They had to figure out how to do makeup on top of makeup. That would be kind of melting away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, they had to make it look like he's wearing this extra set of makeup that's kind of like tough to keep the facade going. Yeah. So they actually had to do Nicholson up in the white makeup and then put the other makeup, the skin tone makeup on top of that, which... When I was a little kid, my brain could not figure this out, and I would get confused. I would think, yeah, like how which his is his real face? Yeah. I would think, well, is the white fake then? Right. And is the only thing wrong with him the rictus grin? I probably wasn't using the word rictus, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't figure it out because it just was too much for my brain. Like, I, I wasn't grasping like what was going on. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's putting on skin makeup sometimes. It, it kind of looks like a, a spray tan or something. It's very orange. After Bruce blows off Vicky with a lie, she creeps on him. Not a very good liar either. When he visits the location of his parents' murder. Oh, I, I think I uh, I think I have something to do today, so uh, I, I can't hang out. He was just ready why. to hit it and quit it. Uh, yeah, I got to go out of town for business. <laughs> I can't remember why I can't hang out today till like, I'm going to be out of town for a few days. He's like, Vicky, listen. Seriously, this this ain't no dinner thing. Okay? Yeah, this, I don't know where you think this is going. <laughs> What Batman adaptation could be complete without reliving this moment? And we are going to see it in a flashback. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. We can't have any a, Batman movie without the fucking I know. pearls in the theater. This was a unique, cool way of working it in, though. The fact that he like goes to like visit this spot. And they wait a long time yeah, to yeah. get to it's it. Deep it's not until towards the end of the film. Right. The pen is truly mightier than the sword. <laughs> An insane murder weapon. Joker announces his presence with authority, and so we're, the stage is set for Batman v. Joker. What are all of these businesses? These buildings seem insane. Like, the part where they're at this dinner, it's like a museum and a restaurant. It's That's what this. it is. Yeah, I know, but it just these places just don't seem real. Well, yeah, that's sort of the unreality. It's, yeah. it's not quite a real place. This town needs an enema. Oh, yeah. There's so many random great lines, but they almost seem disconnected from anything that's happening. Nicholson is just shouting them out. This is a Batman who is angsty. He wants to live in a world where he can get inside Vicky Vale guilt-free, day and night, no responsibility. 
but he knows it would be doomed. Something that's more or less confirmed via dialogue in Batman Returns that he's right. He can never really commit to a regular woman, but he wants to because it's Kim Basinger in 1989. The world wanted to, but it's just not going to happen. That's sort of the emo angst that he's bringing to it. I will say, and this is something repeated by multiple characters, sort of hilariously mirroring each other, but Vicky's apartment is unbelievable. <laughs> it's like the coolest apartment you could ever imagine. It does seem awfully spacious, but I guess she's a successful photographer. I get it. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> the Joker soon becomes obsessed with Vicky, kind of like how we are obsessed with Kim Basinger or how I'm currently obsessed with Lake Bell. Totally. Yes. Just like that. Bob the Goon doesn't seem to know who Bruce Wayne is. Yeah, she's dating this Bruce Wayne guy. Is this the only time in the history of Batman adaptation that a resident of Gotham is unfamiliar with Bruce Wayne? It does seem wild, but I guess Bob is just out of touch. Because that seems to be almost a recurring theme of the Batman material is like, of course everyone in Gotham would know who Bruce Wayne is. Right, and be absolutely stunned slash kind of mortified to realize that he's Batman. <laughs> Who else would have the facilities and the money to pull this off? <laughs> Batman is forced to research a way to stop the Joker from terrorizing Gotham with hygiene products laced with a chemical poison aptly named Smilex, which causes victims to die laughing. Four, three, two, one. Cue music. Cue Becky. Good evening. The fashion world was stunned today by the sudden deaths of models Candy Walker and Amanda Keeler. Cause of death has been attributed to a violent allergic reaction, although authorities have not ruled out the possibility of drug use. Peter. And plans continue for the city's 200th birthday, as Mayor Borg announced today the unveiling. This just in. Three mysterious deaths at a beauty parlor in <laughs> at a beauty parlor in Gotham were discovered today. <laughs> Barry, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Becky, this is hardly the <laughs> Becky. Kill a camera. This is Renee on the news floor. Dane, I need some paramedics up here now. All right. Improved Joker products with a new secret ingredient. Smiley. What is this? Now, let's go over to our blind taste test. Love that Joker. Where's it coming from? I don't know. Uh oh. You don't look happy. He's been using Brand X. With new Joker brand. I get a gram, a gram, and a gram. That luscious tan, those ruby lips, and hair color, so natural, only your undertaker knows for sure. (laughs) I know what you're saying. Where can I get these fine new items? Well, that's the gang. Chances are, you bought them already. (laughs) Love and joking. So remember, Put on a happy face. (laughs) Now, 
I want to clarify. This storyline is boring and it does fade to the background, but I do love the introduction of it with this with newscast. The, right. And the chick, the news anchor woman that just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're in the middle of like talking about these stories that seem unrelated. And then all of a sudden it's happening to the woman on the show where right. she starts laughing. Becky. Yeah. Who has a deadly laughing It fit is good. Because I mean, the guy is like talking about these people just dying from this. Yeah. It's and salons she's just like and models losing and whatnot. It. Yeah, sort of like how they used to play the the Jackie the Joke Man laugh. Yeah, on, it actually during kinda, Robin's news on Stern when something horrible would happen. Or it would remind <laughs> me of like watching like disturbing movies with you, where I'd be like horrified by something, and I'd look over and you were like losing tears, it, <laughs> tears of laughter. <laughs> then the broadcast is interrupted by a Joker commercial where he's talking about Smilex versus Brand X, and so it's it kicks off this cosmetic scare in the city, and then. It's illustrated through the visual change of the updated news anchors who are now no longer using any beauty care products, and then they look worse and everything. I think that's kind of a cool way to do it. Definitely. And then, yes, obviously, the mayor and Commissioner Gordon are pushing this bicentennial thing, and it is very much like Jaws. Yeah, I know. It's set up in a way where people have already been fleeing the city because of organized crime, and originally that was Grissom, and then joker amplifies it even more with this insane threat he's almost like son of sam oh yeah he's just terrorizing the city except it's even more pervasive because it could just happen to anyone and no one knows how it is yet they haven't quite figured out what the combination of products is or whatever and even when batman later figures it out it's never really explained to the audience it's just kind of like i mean it is but it's so tossed aside where you're just like who's even paying attention to this it's just weird because he's got these henchmen. They're just outright murdering people. It's a weird angle to take that we're going to do it through these beauty products. Yeah, I don't, I'm not even sure what his goal is. Yeah. I guess he's crazy. So and there really that. isn't much. You don't need a motive. Seems like he already has a ton of money. Yeah. I don't know. Is he it to impress like... Vicky? He later tries to spray acid in her face. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's trying to get her to trade up. By pretending to be Bruce, the Joker lures Vicky to the Gotham Museum of Art. Alicia now is just rocking a mask. We don't know why yet. Right. And seems totally drugged out. Not really with it anymore. Some darkness going on back at home, I think. It's a strange reveal of that whole situation because Joker's putting on his face makeup and then... Doesn't this movie sort of feel like there's missing scenes? You're like, oh, I missed the scene where this happened. Yeah, yeah, there, it happened. Yeah, a there's lot. a few times where that yeah. happens. When you get to it, I felt that way. Like the when Alfred is just letting Vicky Vale into the Batcave, I'm like, oh, yeah. I missed the part where everybody was just cool with this. Yeah, and then Bruce never really seems mad about it. Yeah, <laughs> even though it wouldn't you just fire Alfred? This is the museum restaurant you were yeah. alluding to earlier. It's bizarre. There's just like an upstairs that's a restaurant, but it's like a fancy restaurant. It's not like right. a snack bar. Oh, right. Yeah. It's fine dining. I, yeah, I don't know. Vicky shows up. She thinks that Bruce is going to be there. She gets a present. The present is a gas mask. This is a fun gag. Joker poisons everyone in this museum slash restaurant, and then he arrives with his henchmen, and they start to destroy works of art. In the Mm. museum. My kind of date. By today's standards, this seems strange and weird. Although I do think that in 1989, people did not like this in the sense that they thought it was kind of too nihilistic. Okay. Like there's just vandalism and destruction for no reason just to do it. And people were like, 
this is supposed to be a kid's movie. Although people, there was a fucking smoking skeleton. <laughs> yeah, but you people know what I'm just saying? Getting, like shot. So the song playing here is Party Man by Prince. It's one of a, a few Prince songs that were written for this movie. Strange. So let's get to the Prince of it all. Please. Uh, Peters and Goober wanted it initially to be Prince and Michael Jackson. Okay. Prince would be singing funk for the Joker, MJ singing ballads for Batman. This is like almost an unprecedented type situation they were gunning for. I don't know what kind of expense the music they were cost more than anything else. It was not to be for various reasons. Michael Jackson had been signed to Epic Records since the 70s and this was a Warner Brothers deal. <laughs> it really didn't seem like it was ever going to happen. Peter's definitely seemed like he thought big. Batman becomes a Prince album. There is an entire album of Prince's discography called Batman of songs, a few of which are in this. Sort of mixed reviews. Ends I th- up feeling super weird, I think. This song I like. I think yeah, it's yeah. actually pretty good. I'm not like a but huge doesn't it fan feel of like all of them. They're just trying to crowbar them into the movie? Yeah, Burton has stated that he does like the songs, but was never really sure where they fit into yeah. the film. I think that's evident. But again, it's it's this weird mishmash movie that doesn't seem like it should work, and yet it works, and the album right. sold well, and it just became part of it. And I think in under different circumstances, this probably wouldn't work, but you have Jack Nicholson, arguably the biggest movie star of all time to that point, among them at least. Sure. One of the most famous people in the world, and... You just have him dancing around to a Prince song, destroying paintings and shit, and <laughs> doing his thing. And you know that off camera, it's unlikely that anyone was wrangling him right. in. He's just doing what he wants to do. And, and then it kind of just works. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I get that always, to some degree. I mean, Batman's like stoic and almost standoffish and quiet, but it, it does feel like Joker in this movie is so much more of the focus point. When Batman shows up, he has so much less energy, it seems. Yeah. It's an absurd scene, though, no matter how you slice it. But again, I, I do think in addition to some of the other things we've called out, it's it's one of those things that makes this movie unique, is just having Nicholson dancing to Prince. Right. And you're just going along for the ride. You can take that off now, I think. Oh, you're beautiful. In an old-fashioned kind of way. But uh, I'm sure we can make you more today. Is that your portfolio? I'm meeting someone who wants to see my work. Crap. 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 such a glow I don't know if it's art but I like it let me tell you what I'm thinking about sweetie I was in the bath one day when I realized why I was destined for greatness you know how concerned people are about appearances this is attractive that is not well, that is all behind me I now do what other people only dream I make art until someone dies see 
I am the world's first fully functioning homicidal artist. What do you want? My face on the one dollar bill. You must be joking. Do I look like I'm joking? No. Listen, we mustn't compare ourselves to regular people. We're artists. For instance, let me challenge you with a little piece I did. Bob, Alicia, you will take pictures and record my work. You will join me in the avant-garde of the new aesthetic. Jack, you said I could watch you improve the paintings. Oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> Why is she wearing a mask? Well, she's just a sketch, really. Alicia, sit down. Show the lady why you wear the mask. You see, Miss Vale, Alicia's been made over in line with my new philosophy, so now, like me, she is a living work of art. I don't know Picasso, but do you like it? It's great. It's so, what can I do for you? Oh, little song, little dance, Batman's head on a lance. Tell me, uh, what do you know about... I don't know anything about Batman. Really? Yeah. Well, how about a little you and me? Hmm? Ooh. You're insane. I thought I was a Pisces. Come on, let's make up. Have a little whiff of my posy. <laughs> Joker wants Vicky to be his personal photographer, documenting him as the first fully functional homicidal artist. And he shows Vicky Alicia's jacked up face as proof of his work, which is seems to be burned or something. I don't know if he sprayed acid in her face. Something to that effect, I'm guessing. Right. Batman arrives and rescues Vicky before taking her to the Batcave in his Batmobile. And the Batmobile is... So awesome. They originally designed it without doors, and Burton was like, where are the doors? And they're like, well, let's just make this whole thing slide up, and that's where the thing will be. And it's like, okay. And again, when you compare it to the pre-existing versions of the Batmobile, this is like its own yeah. new Although, creation. Even though like I didn't see this when it came out, I guess it's because of Batman Returns, though it's a similar thing. This is the definitive Batmobile look for me. Yeah. This is what I think that it looks like. It's so much so that with the Nolan stuff, when they had this like tank thing, even though I was so in on Batman Begins, I was just like, that ain't the fucking Batmobile. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Because I think with Nolan, the goal was always trying to keep the stuff grounded to right. reality. So like, what can they use that's actually real? But this is way cooler. Absolutely. Batman fights with Joker's goons in the street and we get a sense of his body armor when he's shot like three times in close range, but he's got the body armor. There's this weird little recurring joke with, Vicky Vale, where he's like, How much do you weigh? Yes. And she's like, 108 pounds. And then, like, later, he's like, You weigh more than that. It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Negging. <laughs> he's like, He's like, You'd be really pretty if you lost a couple of pounds. 
phones. <laughs> oh, God. oh, boy. Horrible. Batman, come on. Yeah, really. Why would he say that? <laughs> Piece of shit. Once back at the Batcave, Batman provides Vicky with all of his research on Smilex that will allow the city's residents to escape the toxin. It literally doesn't matter, but at this point, who cares? And then we have like one of the weirdest cuts. Oh my ever. god, I know. <laughs> I because look. at first I wrote, "Does she fuck Batman?" With and I was like imagining this whole thing where he yeah. leaves the mask on, the whole suit, and she's like, "This penis looks familiar." <laughs> but she wakes up in her apartment. Yeah, he's like, first I I need one more thing from you, and then it like cuts like he's gonna like but it's kiss like, her, and it's almost like he's lifting up his little cape and yeah, yeah. bats, and then. She's in her apartment right. asleep. Sideways and then you realize on the one thing yeah. that he needed was that film. Because she's right. like, oh, he took the film. Because she snapped a picture as the goons were trying to lift his mask off. But it is weird to try to interpret what happens here. I know. I guess you're just supposed to take it. At, did he drug her or something? He punched her in the head so that <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't yeah, know how to. Dark. Yeah. That was like the darkness that you would see on Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the long and the short of it is that in order to have a in interaction with the poison you need to have like specific combinations of certain beauty products so yeah that's what batman has figured out and that's the information that's spread and it, it really doesn't matter everybody ends up saved i did enjoy the like in between time where they do the the other newscast the anchors no makeup their hair looks yeah, awful no i know i did i just like that part yeah, the whole thing with the news stuff is what keeps the Smilex story going. Yeah. Other than that, it, you don't even really get any sense of it. Right. I know. And you're thinking the whole time, well, there has to be more and you're to like, this. I, we're pretty deep into this movie at this point, and it's hard to tell like what exactly the story is. Yeah, beyond the Smilex thing. Yeah. And then they come up with a new scheme later for Joker. But yeah, it seems kind of thrown together. Again, it doesn't matter. You just right, want right. the yeah. three main characters to interact with each other. The set dressing around it of why they're doing it doesn't even matter sure. for some reason. And I think that can only work if one of the three people is Jack Nicholson. Because <laughs> if they tried this same formula with other people, you'd be like, what is going on in this movie? I know. But you never really think of it. You're just like, okay, let's go to the next scene. Hi. This is a nice apartment. Lots of space. Uh, listen, I came over to clear a few things. I don't know who you think you are. You hurt me. I know. Look. I called you. And I called you. I know. And you lied. Well, you, you lied to me about leaving town. Well, let me tell you why. Let me tell you. You invited me out. We went to dinner. I thought we right. felt something. Well, and if I you trusted give me a you. To... And I even slept with you. I can't believe I did well, that. And then you I... wouldn't return my phone calls. You must be some kind of jerk. Look, you're a real nice girl and I like you a lot. But for right now, shut up. I have something I have to tell you. You know how people have different sides to their personality? Mm-hmm. Sometimes a, a, a person will have to actually lead a different life. Oh, my God, you're married. 
No, I'm not married. You see, my life is really um, complex. <laughs> All right, listen. You know how a normal person gets up and goes downstairs and eats breakfast and kisses somebody goodbye and goes to a job and, you know, no. No. All right, look. Vicky, what I'm trying to tell you is... Hey, it's okay. You can tell me. Okay. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is... See, I... Conflicted over his feelings for her, Bruce arrives at Vicky's apartment, intending to reveal his secret identity, only for the Joker to show up and spoil the party. And this is when Alicia's fate is callously revealed that she threw herself off of a building and committed suicide. Sad. Once Joker realizes there's another man there, and, and it's Bruce Wayne, and then they have this like confrontation, there is a probably... 10 to 15 second stretch it seems like where you have these insane lines exchanged that are so over the top and <laughs> some of the most memorable material of the movie i'm sure that i'll probably end up using it for the opening clip first you have bruce saying you want to get nuts oh, let's I know. get nuts right. this is like the most he's ratcheted it up for the whole movie and then joker have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight that's right which is a trigger and then yep, after he's still shoots- a trigger <laughs> He shoots Bruce, who we don't know has... Well, I guess we kind of know that he's got himself a little armor there. Yeah. Almost like Back to the Future 3 style. Really would have been great if shot in the face. Never rub another man's rhubarb. Yeah. Those are the three lines, all in about like 20 seconds or so. Unbelievable. The Joker shoots Bruce, but he survives thanks to a serving tray hidden underneath his shirt. And then Bruce escapes while Joker is distracted. Some serving tray. The... Bicentennial celebration is finally canceled, but there's another Joker simulcast interruption on the news promising $20 million in cash, which will be distributed to the people of Gotham at a future date, which I guess is like going to be his conflicting parade or something. Again, the details are never really that clear to the audience. He just saying things and you're kind of like, okay. Even yeah, when you're trying to pay attention to the plot, it's sort of hard to figure out like <laughs> what exactly is going on. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? So here we go. This is the catchphrase that was also used by the mugger who killed Bruce's parents. So finally, we're here. It's the flashback. Joker, a.k.a. Jack Napier, killed Mr. and Mrs. Wayne. Yeah. Not Joe Chill as had been previously established in Batman lore. Okay, bummer. This is 90 minutes in to the film, and we're getting this flashback now, finally. Well, this is one of those the things The pearls, the I, movie theater, the alley. On the go, they were like, 
They wanted it to just be like, look, he's mad about the Vicky Vale thing. Joker is like relentlessly hitting on his girlfriend. But then they were like, this just isn't working. There's not enough chemistry there. We need more of a reason for him to kill. We need more of a reason for him to be pissed at this guy. I guess they wanted to simplify it for one two-hour movie to have Batman versus Joker. What are the personal stakes? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really agree with it, it, but it's fine. Sure. I don't get hung up on shit like that. I never really care. I always am one of those people that I do read a lot of books that get turned into movies, but like I always see the benefit of certain changes. Yeah, yeah. Other times I'm always scratching my head and I get being it. like I don't know what they're even doing, but sometimes I'm like I I get what Trying they're to going for. Make something work as its own entity. So my big theory is that it's almost like Memento. Where (laughs) Batman has just convinced himself time and time again that different people have killed his parents. (laughs) And then that's what keeps him personally invested. I love it. So he just creates this memory in his head that the guy said, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? And then he just goes with it. Yeah, yeah. Because we're going to get to the end of the film in a minute, but he does reveal this to Joker later and he's calling him Jack and he's telling him he knows that he killed his parents and even in like wikipedia they're like yes and then the joker realizes he's bruce wayne and i'm like watching the movie and i'm like no no no. the joker never says that he never acknowledges that he knows who he is true he just sort of is like confused almost he does say i was just a kid or something so it's almost like he remembers but i don't know i'm not convinced that he ever really confirms it so maybe it is all in bruce's head that this is the guy <laughs> I can buy that yeah Joe Chill is just anybody. He's an everyman. Right. And so then after he kills Joker, he's going to start all over again and think someone else killed his parents. (laughs) I feel like I remember in like Batman Forever, like it, I don't know, they do the flashback again and you're like, are you supposed to think this is Two-Face now too? (laughs) Like it's not, but it almost feels that way. Yeah. Harvey Dent killed his parents. (laughs) When he was just like the good lawyer. Yeah. The, coming this fall on ABC, the <laughs> good lawyer. White Knight. <laughs> and there was a double whammy for the hardcores after the Joe Chill retcon here, because this is right when Vicky is just straight up brought to the Batcave by Alfred. So casually. Throughout the film, he's been coaxing the relationship all along in the oh, hopes yeah. of preserving Bruce's humanity, but it does feel like an obscene overstep on his part here. Because it, there's no scene in the film where Bruce is like, all right, fuck it, Alfred, I'm going to tell her. <laughs> yeah. We know as the audience that he's about to tell her and right. that it doesn't come out, but he doesn't ever say that to Alfred, so Alfred's just kind of taking a big leap here. There's a lot at stake here. But I get that this was the first major Batman motion picture, so people were probably a little bristling to this. But now we have three decades worth. Sure. Plus, and... It does seem to be the nature of most Batman productions where people will find out Batman is Bruce Wayne or they will try the entire time or the secret will be revealed or whatever. It's a recurring theme. Right. It gets done a lot that people in fucking Dark Knight Rises, you just have Joseph Gordon-Levitt be like, I figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like without any reason. Oh, I know. It's just sort of a thing that people I knew do. it was you. When filmmakers get I've their seen hands that look before. on this material, yeah. that's what they want to do. Right. 
But what? it is a weird way to do it when you're just like Vicky Vale knocks at the door and Alfred's just like, oh, he's in the back cave. Let's go. No, no I think he just went to her apartment and was like, get in, toots. <laughs> I got to show you something. You're not going to believe this. <laughs> and then she's like, I've seen this place before. Well, yeah. She's like, oh, this is the back cave. Yeah. Alfred, how are you connected to the back? Oh, my God, Bruce. <laughs> I knew that dick seemed familiar. So she did fuck both. She cheated yeah. on him with him. Yeah. So the big secret is exposed. Bruce tells Vicky that it's something he must do. And I did love this line delivery from Basinger when she just whines. She's oh, like, yeah. Why? <laughs> just the way she says it is like so childish. Another weird part. He cannot focus on a relationship with her with Joker still on the loose. And then he just abruptly leaves as Batman to destroy the Axis chemical plant used to create Smilex. This is the first time that you may notice that there's just massive collateral damage to stuff that Batman does because he blows up that chemical plant with people in it. So this is not the Batman that that is above killing people. We're going to see that more later right? when he's openly firing machine guns, which is another thing people were like pissed about. That is true. He is breaking a lot of the Batman rules. So Prince kind of becomes joker's theme and trust by prince starts playing while the joker lures gotham citizens to a parade with the promise of that free money in order to actually gas them with smilex held within giant parade balloons and joker in this moment as he's on the float going through this parade really reminded me of like a modern politician you know yeah yeah even the shit he was saying it could be used as a, a satire of how dark things have become in our real world. I think that's fair. It's funny, like leading up to this part, and it had been before rewatching this to do this episode, long time. Yeah. Long time since I had watched this. And I had a completely different memory in my head. I can't even describe it, but the way that the balloons looked was a little bit different. And then when he pulls out that long revolver or whatever, I, my memory was it was like a rocket launcher. Yeah. And it's just weird how those things happen where you have like this kind of vivid memory and then it is just something different. I don't have those same exact things, but I have that same stuff with different parts in this movie that my memory is different from what it actually is, including the way that Joker dies. Oh, yeah. I knew that he fell off the thing, but in my head, I believe I have a memory of it more resembling what happens in The Dark Knight, but a memory of me thinking that way before the dark Knight existed, like right, in my right. head, you know what I mean? That's what I thought as a kid was something more where he's like holding his arm. And then like the Joker tries to like do something and then he drops him by accident uh-huh. where he's like trying to save him and then he dies anyway or something, but that's not how it is. And I can't really explain it, but you can see some of the artistic and aesthetic similarities to a lot of other Burton material, including like, Movies that he didn't even direct, like Nightmare Before Christmas or something. Yeah, yeah. With some of the designs of these balloons and then the way the forest looks when the Batcave's driving through it. It, it all like ominous and creepy. It all is part of his oeuvre. This dark, enchanted feeling. There is definitely like a high body count to this movie because the Joker killed all those people in the museum restaurant. Now he's killing a bunch of people at this parade too oh, yeah. before Batman shows up. And it's Batwing time. And this is a Batman who's not afraid to fire machine guns and rockets and <laughs> be heavily involved in a life or death yeah. battle. I do think the Batwing stuff looked pretty good. 
Yeah, you get that cool shot of it going across the moon and all yeah, that stuff. That's fun. The Batwing succeeds in removing the balloons eventually, but the Joker shoots Batman down. I don't know how Batman is missing him with those machine guns, but then he pulls out that crazy gun with the long barrel right. and then yes. just shoots him down. I don't know. I know. It's silly. Joker does blame Bob the Goon for Batman foiling the plan, so he yeah. shoots Bob. It's a shame. Starting with the Joker shooting the Batwing down and, and everything that comes here, it's just spiraling ridiculousness now. It just gets weirder and weirder. I know. And this is where... And instead of like tension building up or like excitement building to this final showdown, it almost feels like it's running out of gas. Yeah, because I think that the people making the film didn't really even know where it was going at yeah. a certain point. The Batwing crashes in front of a cathedral and the Joker takes Vicky hostage within it. Originally, in the climax, the Joker was meant to kill Vicky Vale, sending Batman into a vengeful fury. John Peters reworked the climax without telling Burton and commissioned production designer Anton First to create a 38-foot model of the cathedral. This cost $100,000 when the film was already well over budget. Burton disliked the idea, having no clue how the scene would end. How were Jack Nicholson and Kim Basinger walking up this cathedral? And halfway up, Jack turns around and says, why am I walking up all these stairs? Where am I going? We'll talk about it when you get to the top, I had to tell him, that I didn't know. That's what Burton said. <laughs> he was like, I don't know. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> we don't know what, Sounds what you're promising. doing. Sounds promising. Because it doesn't really make any sense. As chaotic and strange, somewhat stupid and weird and boring and in the background all of these things the joker's doing you can at least kind of get the logic it you're like okay so he wants to poison people here's how he's doing it he wants to lure people to the spray to poison them he's just insane he wants to be this crime boss but also like ruthless and a murderer <laughs> but then he succeeds in shooting batman's batwing down uh-huh. and his plan is to just take Vicky Vale at gunpoint into this cathedral. Yeah. For no reason. He's making it up on the fly. It's weird. But I think audiences are just conditioned to knowing that there's going to be a final showdown and might as well be in a cathedral. Right. (laughs) Batman pursues the Joker to the top of the cathedral. There's a fun dance with the Joker and Vicky going around while Batman's having an extended goon fight. At one point, he does a bat. Hurricane Rana. <laughs> That's true. Pulling a goon down into the bell tower or whatever. There is an odd blowjob bit here where <laughs> Vicky starts kissing Joker and then she just like goes down to her knees, but it's really to get out of the way for Batman to step in. I but know. the implication is there, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think so. <laughs> this is a kid's movie. I know. It's odd. I would say PG-13 movies are much more violent now. Well, it was still the 80s. But remember, there are certain things in this movie that you would not get away with in PG-13. Absolutely. Too. So it's weird because I think like the new Batman movie with Pattinson is way more violent. More and grim, scary. too. Like the violence is more yeah. intense. It feels more real and Riddler's like a serial killer and everything. But at the same time, they're not going to have the main heroine of the film get down on her knees as if she's about to blow the villain as like kind of a gag. Well, that's true. That wouldn't be allowed in a PG-13 movie. Yeah. That would have really shook the new Batman if they pulled something like that. 
Yeah, like they'll show Zoe Kravitz in her underwear. Yeah. But they're not going to have her like get down on her knees as if she's about to blow somebody. This no. is not going to happen. Yeah, that's hard to picture. In the ensuing fight, Batman reveals that he knows Jack Napier killed his parents and thus indirectly created Batman before Batman created the Joker, which is what Joker accuses him of, like, you created me, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. He literally fought him, and he ended up in the chemicals, but then the idea of, like, that they always come back to of, like... This is kind of like the killing joke thing. Yeah, the yin and the yang, like, we complete each other. Does this cause Joker to know Batman's identity? I don't know. It ultimately doesn't matter, obviously. But he kind of vaguely remembers killing people, but... I'm sure he's killed a lot. Yeah. Seems like he's killed a lot in the years in between. Unless he's like Christopher Walken in yeah. True Romance. He's like, I haven't killed anybody since 1981. <laughs> yeah, it but was you, your parents. You would think if you killed the richest people in town, those would be like pretty big notches on the belt. Ooh. You killed my parents. What? Huh. <laughs> what are you talking about? I made you. You made me first. Hey, bad brain. I mean, I was a kid when I killed your parents. I mean, I say I made you. You gotta say you made me. How childish can you get, huh? You wouldn't hit a guy with glasses on, would you? physics come into play here that just defy all reason i don't know know. what is supposed to be happening in this clumsy ending set piece where they're hanging off the edge it just lacks such intensity too and you're not even sure how any of this is working where joker flies over the edge but then he grabs those two (laughs) and they go over the edge and they're all just hanging everybody just incredible arm strength incredible upper body strength the Joker eventually pulls Batman and Vicky over the balcony of the cathedral, leaving them hanging while he attempts to escape by calling in a helicopter piloted by his goons, who then throw down a ladder for him. However, Batman uses a grappling hook that somehow attaches to both the Joker's leg and a gargoyle simultaneously. I don't know how this works. He shoots it out of a gun, but then it attaches to both the Joker's leg and a gargoyle. A one in a million type shot, it seems like to me. I don't know how this even makes sense. The gargoyle breaks off of the building and Joker, who is still clinging to the ladder, is unable to bear the immense weight, causing him to plummet to his death while Batman and Vicky eventually end up making it to safety. As I said, I had a much different memory of this. It's definitely like an anticlimactic finish. It stinks. Yeah. Thank you. For a variety of reasons, I think the having Batman try to save him is more in line with the character. And maybe that's why I just willed myself to believe that. Uh huh. Joker falls what appears to be an insane height because there's all these insanely tall buildings in Gotham and he falls off of one just in one piece at the bottom. Yeah. I don't really think he'd look like that. It I think it'd be like, like a puddle. <laughs> it does feel like it'd be a rougher scene. Oh. <laughs> People just vomiting. Well, all we, you see yeah. how rough it is in Midsummer. Oh, yeah. This is like 
10 times that high. Yeah, More, right. maybe. Yeah. It just seems like thousands of feet in the air. He would be just evaporated. <laughs> yeah, right. But because Vicky and Batman almost fall to their death and he has to use the grappling hooks to save them. Those grappling hooks do come in handy. Talk about enthusiastic consent vis-a-vis Vicky Vale after this. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> they probably had quite a night. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the end of Speed. Yeah, they're bonded for the time being. Yeah. Sometime later, Gordon announces that the police have arrested all of Joker's goons and unveils the bat signal. Harvey Dent reads a note from Batman. <laughs> what the fuck? Promising that he will defend Gotham and to use the signal to summon him. So now he's no longer this vigilante freak. He's the hero of Gotham. Alfred takes Vicky to Wayne Manor, explaining that Bruce will be a little late, which she now understands. And then Batman looks at the signal's projection, standing watch over the city. So Alfred has essentially become Bruce's pimp, just like picking up his ladies and bringing them to the house. (laughs) (laughs) He's a good friend. Yeah. And that really does it for the film. Joker does not survive. Vicky will not return. And no mention in Batman Returns, or does she get a little... No, she does. Okay. She does. Yeah, I referenced that earlier when I said it was all but confirmed what he's saying to Vicky about okay. I can't yeah. do it, because he does mention that to Selena Kyle. Right, like, okay. Implying that his relationship couldn't work because of his double life. Yep. And then the whole thing in that movie is finding someone who matches that. Which brings me to our revelation. We don't always talk about things we're going to do in the future, but right now the plan is that, yes, we will cover Batman Returns later this year. How about that? I really wanted to do Batman Returns because I love that movie because of Pfeiffer, but I felt like we had to do this first. For sure. Batman Returns is definitely a more formative movie for me than this, but this is definitely a fun world to jump into, one that's fun to talk about. It is such an odd movie. Yeah, I do think that the script is a little tighter in Returns. Yeah, yeah. I think as far as it from a storytelling perspective, the overall product at least it's been a while but my memory of it is it's a little bit more coherent. Yeah. I, I would say that ha- this movie has less cringe though. Yeah, There's yeah. some well, really embarrassing yes. moments in Returns. And I agree with that. I think even Tim Burton on this Batman is kind of like, yeah, I think it, some of the things are good about it. It's good for what it is. This spectacle interesting world but uh, i don't know if i'd say it's a great movie yeah i don't think he had as much control over this one he was like i said still coming up yeah yeah there were a lot of forces at play and it feels that way so yeah we're gonna do batman returns hopefully before the end of the year obviously all plans are subject to change but that is what we want to do so we'll get into the whole catwoman penguin max shrek of it all oh yeah (laughs) Later on. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. I guess without further ado, we can jump into recommendations. I don't really have anything else to say yeah, yeah. about Batman right now. No, I think that's it. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I can go with a fairly obvious one for the material we're doing, but I did just rewatch it this week, and it's streaming on Netflix right now. Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I've always, I don't, it's weird. I feel like that's like the most divisive of the Nolan trilogy. Like it does seem like people really want to jump on not being into that one. I will read 
multiple tweets about Dark Knight Rises, and I would say like 50-50 between people shitting on it and people hailing it as a masterpiece. So yeah. uh, it is completely yeah. divided. On I am definitely way closer to loving it. There's stretches of it that I'm not as into, but I, I'm, you know, I think the Dark Knight is the the pinnacle. But I'm way in on most of the dark Knight well we live too. in a cinema sins culture now yeah where plot holes and, oh, and I know. things like that get dissected and people just can't see past it and i think it's ruined movie watching to a certain extent because i know this will drive people insane but plot is only one of like 15 things you should be interested in in the movie i yeah. know that sounds crazy but if you just didn't care about plot then read a fucking plot synopsis yeah, yeah. There's so much more going on in a motion picture that, you know, worrying about where this fucking prison hole is and how he gets back to Gotham that I fast. Know. Who gives a shit? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't unforgivable things that happen in movies. Of course yeah. there are. But I don't think that anything that happens in Dark Knight Rises yeah. comes to that level of ruining a fucking Batman movie. It was really, though, like diving back into that, like hard to believe it's been 10 years. Yeah. That that came out 10 years ago. It's like, holy shit. You know, you and I talk about it because we don't have that super excited to go see a movie. Like, it just doesn't happen that frequently for us as old men. But right. uh, that one for sure, you just remember almost having like chills going into Yeah, it. it was probably one of the most anticipated movie situations of our lifetime. It ended up, a lot of it was filmed in the city we're living in, yeah. which is weird. Right from out the window at work, I took a picture oh, of yeah. one of those. Right fucking batmobiles yeah i i like the movie a lot too i get where some of the complaints come in it's nowhere near as good as the dark knight but for me it's it's ultimately more rewatchable than batman begins which i yeah. think is kind of slow for sure i guess the points that keep me invested are the beginning and the end so like i always end on a positive when i rewatch it because i love the whole ending sequence dude i think the whole fucking alfred <laughs> Seeing him at the table with... I love it. <laughs> yeah. But it was really funny watching it this time with Lindsay because she's normally like a good sport about watching things. But this was... It was actually like a reveal. We were watching it and like every time Anne Hathaway delivered a line, she was like, yuck. Like she <laughs> does not think Anne Hathaway was good at all. Anne, ha Anne Hathaway has like this weird reputation where I think a lot of people don't like her yeah. for some reason, but I, I always no, like and her. No, and I'm like, I was like, wow. I'm like, I, I've never felt this way or thought that. And she's usually not that like opinionated about Did it come out of the campaigning for the Oscar for Les Mis? I don't know what it is. <laughs> it could be. She is strongly tied to musicals, so there could be something there, but. Well, then don't tell her how I sat at my desk crying to her singing <laughs> from Les Mis. I really don't know what it is we didn't really get into it but it was just funny like she was just audibly disgusted I, dude, I, I knew girls that were the same way because yeah. I was talking about in the aftermath of seeing Les Mis and talking about Anne Hathaway and I was like yeah she should win yeah and having pushback yeah and me kind of being confused. I don't know. But There's I, just I people know. that don't like her. I don't it, know. I don't know. It, it was actually, it was cracking me up, though. It made like it added like another level of enjoyment to watching it this time. Yeah, I think when we were discussing the possibility of doing a Batman-centered month, which we are obviously not doing, I think The Dark Knight Rises was in consideration to go along with Batman and Batman Returns. I don't know how we would have done a whole month's worth. Maybe there would have just been three and then a Give Us a Second or something yeah. like that. But 
we're not doing it, and we probably won't do the Dark Knight Rises. And unless Matt throws me a curveball, I don't imagine we're going to do a revisited for the Dark Knight. Yeah. Even though it was probably a disaster of an episode. That's a, With this coming up, it just felt like the time for me to revisit that one. And that's why I wanted to do it as a recommendation, just to spend a few minutes talking about it. Because it does annoy me that that's the one that just seems like people want to hate it. Yeah, I, it was probably partially a backlash just because Dark Knight was so huge. Yeah, Anytime yeah. anything gets like very popular, there's like a pushback to it. But I enjoy it. I had a good time with it. I like all the performances in it. It sort of makes me intrigued as to whether or not Juno Temple filmed her parts in Pittsburgh. Were we just two ships passing in the I, night? I'm sure you were, yeah. <laughs> Doomed to not meet each other. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I, and I see no point really in revisiting The Dark Knight, even though we could do a much better job with it oh, now. Oh, absolutely, it, but yeah. I think originally when we did that for episode number 50, we were we recorded an attempt to do the whole trilogy. That's right. And then I quickly realized that that this was a is, terrible this idea. This is way too much. So then we redid it as just The Dark Knight, and it's probably still very terrible. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. My recommendations, I showed Matt a little bit of one of them right before we started recording. It's a new documentary that you can rent on streaming unless you have some weird channel on Roku channel called like Screambox or something. I doubt anyone in the world even has that. So you can rent this movie if you're interested in the 1990 miniseries It. Oh, yes. That aired on ABC based on the Stephen King novel. This has nothing to do with the new It films. And it, it of course, it talks about the book and stuff, but it's mostly about the miniseries and it's sort of like a big documentary they talked to most of the people from it it's called pennywise the story of it new this week to streaming rental i think it came from a kickstarter type situation these people made this thing it's very exhaustive it's over two hours and they really give you a lot of information it's it's almost a little hard to watch all at once just because it's sort of relentless but if you're a fan of the miniseries like we are oh yeah it's worth checking out, just hearing some casting stuff, hearing behind-the-scenes stuff, seeing different pictures and videos behind the scenes. Yeah, it almost was bumming me out because I do love that original miniseries. There were parts of the newer movies that I liked, but even hearing them talk about doing the 10-part series, you are just like, they haven't quite made... Oh, you mean the potential. Yeah, they, like, they originally wanted to do it as like a 10-hour But you're still like, there's still this opportunity to get the best of both worlds right well i don't think it'll be happening anytime soon because they just made those two big movies and the first one was a massive success i think part two was a little bit less but and there were parts of that that i certainly the first one more that i I liked but in terms of i mean the miniseries just far and away i know we're probably in the minority and i do get it if you're younger like say you're in your 20s or younger and you really don't have much history with that miniseries, it's probably not going to connect with you at all. And obviously... It does have a cheap made-for-TV feel to it. Yeah, the ending is an embarrassment. And it was even considered terrible initially, even amongst the fans who watched it back then in 1990. But they get so much of the nuance, right? Yeah, there's just something about it where they really capture a world in a way that I, I just don't think those new It movies really do. I don't know. I did like the first one. The second one... Not so much. Yeah. But yeah, maybe nobody's ever been 
able to end it correctly because they I make just, that fucking joke in part two a million times. Then you're thinking, oh, they must have come up with a great ending, the, and it, then they don't. The miniseries, and uh, you know, I maybe they just didn't want to recreate this, but it makes me emotional in the it miniseries. This is battery acid, you slime, and how they killed the clown the first time. Yeah, it was just not that in the the new movie. Yeah, the even the yeah the ending oh. of part one is even kind of lame. Yeah, yeah. There were two lines that I told you when we left part one. Yeah. That I was like, they, why couldn't they just have put these lines in there? Which was, this is battery acid, you slime, and you killed my brother, you bastard. It's right. like, just have those lines. I know. Ugh. Missed chance. <laughs> yeah. So if you're interested, it's out there. I don't know how many people listening to this actually give a shit about the It 1990 miniseries. But if you do, it's a cool documentary that's probably a little under the radar. Hopefully it'll get on Shutter at some point and more people will see it. That would probably be the best destination for it to Avenue. get to one day. Yeah. But yeah, most of the actors, including Tim Curry and Yeah, that was a little shocking. Seth Green. Yeah. Emily Perkins, who we are massive fans of. Totally. I was actually thinking <laughs> there are a lot of famous actors and actresses that if i met them i would be like this is awesome like leonardo dicaprio right ryan gosling margot robbie and then there's like a lot of like the most beautiful women like ana de armas or alexander daddario who i'd also be blown away with uh-huh. and maybe even want to take a picture with which is definitely not something i would ask everybody because that's not my thing and then there's like the people who you feel like are yours like your people yeah and emily perkins is one of those people. And I'd be like, I'm afraid that if I met her at like a, say she did like one of those horror cons because she's in it and ginger snaps and all that stuff. I was like, I I might start crying. (laughs) I'd be like ginger snaps, one, two, and three. It security. She's the man. (laughs) So many masterpieces. I know. I love Emily Perkins, yeah. and I was so happy to see her in this documentary. I wish she would be in more things. Yeah. She's, She's one gem. of the greats. Anyway, my other recommendation ties in with Batman as well. Harley Quinn, the cartoon, mm. season three, premiered Whoa. today. How about that? I didn't know. Three episodes dropped on HBO Max. I watched them all today. I would have only watched one, but then Matt kept pushing back the recording time, and I had time to squeeze this in. Okay, see? It worked out. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. I loved the first two seasons. It seems to be kind of picking it up, but I'm also thinking, like, did it run its course? Now Harley and Ivy are just together. and oh. Is that where we're going to be now? But I've told you that I know it's not a, a fair comparison. I maybe even said this the first time I recommended seasons one and two on this podcast, but I do think that Kaylee Cuoco's Harley Quinn is probably the best that they've ever done in okay. anything. It's an unfair advantage because obviously you can't really compare Margot Robbie because she's doing a live action thing. Sure. But I just like this version of it a little bit better. I don't think they've ever nailed it with the Margot Robbie stuff. Not that it's her fault. It's just the movies haven't really. Obviously, Suicide Squad was like a disaster. Birds of Prey was okay. Okay. It was better, but it still really wasn't what you want out of the character, I don't think. They don't really know what to do. They oversexed her in Suicide Squad, but then times have changed. And then so she's supposed to be more like not that character in Birds of Prey. So okay. they, they can't really figure out what they want to yeah. do now. But Lake Bell, who I mentioned earlier, is the That's voice right. of Poison Ivy. It's a fun show. You can check it out on HBO Max. 
if you like raunchy cartoons. <laughs> There's a lot of sex jokes. I, I still never finished coarse language. the second season, but everything that I did watch from the first season I loved. It is like a pretty hilarious show. The big controversy heading into this was that DC, who usually lets them do anything, did not want them to have a scene of Batman eating Catwoman out. Oh, and so I think I got to that point in episode three and he's like massaging her feet instead, but he's kind of down there or whatever. <laughs> For whatever reason, DC was like, we don't want Batman to do that. But they let like Batman Junior be like Soprano. A... <laughs> they let Batman be like a doofus and yeah. stuff. I don't know. And they let Harley and Ivy do stuff. And there is yeah. lesbian shit in it and cunnilingus in it. Not like explicit or anything, but there is stuff like that in yeah the show so they just don't want batman to do it right (laughs) anyway check that out on hbo max i could talk a little bit about jordan peele's new film nope but i don't think matt saw it so we're not gonna talk about it although can you just give me a thumbs up or thumbs down i i think i would probably say thumbs down okay which is probably a hot take but we don't really have time to that's enough let's end the show (laughs) right there people are like oh god (laughs) Well, I guess it just depends. Okay. We did Get Out on the show, and I I think we established that Get Out is sort of like this modern classic. Yeah, I even yeah. think that if I did the re-Oscars for every year, I would say like that should probably win Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Get Out is a five for me. We saw Us on opening night, and it was uh, a pretty big letdown yeah. for me. I liked parts of it, but the end I thought really was... I, really I liked bad. Lupita Nyong'o and her yeah. performance in the film. I thought the movie was kind of a disaster. And I'm always blown away still to this day when I see certain people like praise it. Yeah, I, I just don't get it. I've never rewatched it, and I don't think I could. <laughs> it would be tough. There is a problem at a certain point when you're like a horror director and you're not even really attempting scares in these movies. Like, There's nothing scary yeah. about them, but whatever. Us just didn't work for me at all. If people want to disagree on that, that's fine. It just, it just not for me. Nope is better than Us. Uh-huh. It starts out good. I like the build. I think Jordan Peele is a good director. I think he one of his unspoken about strengths clearly is getting good performances out of people. I think Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer are very good in the film. I was a little less convinced by the other characters but they're sort of lesser anyway. I'm not going to spoil anything, but once it's revealed what's going on, like the whole thing, like what it is, I was like, oof, this is not for me. (laughs) I just didn't think it was interesting at all. I got a lot, because a lot of people get mad when people criticize this film, and I'm not sitting out here like Logan Paul, like shitting on the film and then getting dunked on by all the cinephile dorks on twitter being like well you didn't clearly see this symbolism and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like i got a lot of the symbolism i think i got a lot of what the movie was about that doesn't mean that i think it's cool or good sure just because i got some of that stuff there were some things i didn't get probably but there were some cool elements there's i don't want to spoil it but there's like this seemingly unconnected thing which i do think once you get the bigger picture you can kind of piece together what it means but it happened like in the 90s and it seems unrelated to everything else that is fucking wild and that is almost like its own movie and that almost seems like its own interesting movie yeah this is, that sounds fun that involves steven yoon's character 
who's sort of a lesser character, but when he's younger, that whole thing is like crazy and very fascinating. But tying it in with the other stuff is, I think I get it, but it, it's, I don't know. It, it doesn't quite work for me. And then the end sucks. The end is embarrassing to me. And again, I didn't really find much of it scary. It borrows a little bit from signs, but not really. But you can see some parallels. Okay. But like what I'm building towards with signs is, to some people, this might not be a criticism, and to other people, this might be insane, depending on how you feel about this guy. But I do think that he reminds me a little bit of M. Night Shyamalan now. The Sixth Sense is a way bigger movie than anything Jordan Peele probably did, but uh-huh. Get Out is probably way better. I don't know. Maybe Get Out made as much as Sixth Sense. I don't know. Sixth Sense was such a, it was a, a massive right, movie. Yes. But, you know, you go back to Shyamalan's first three films, he hadn't really hit that point where people were like, what the fuck? <laughs> People generally liked Signs. Yeah, yeah. And Unbreakable didn't do as well as the other two, but it was still critically acclaimed. Jordan Peele, he's trying to write horror films that aren't fully realized, and he, he's yeah. sort of running into that same thing that Shyamalan had, where he was like a great director, but he couldn't quite... This one is more, I would say, sci-fi horror, I guess. Nope stands for not of planet Earth, but also characters say it. Uh-huh. But I know that a lot of people love it. it. It got, like, probably his lowest score on Rotten Tomatoes, but it was still, like, 82% or something when I saw that score. And it did okay at the box office. I think it, the budget was pretty high, so it, it's going to have to have legs to really live up to the box office success of the other stuff. But the reviews you see on Letterboxd and Twitter and whatnot, you would think this is, like, another masterpiece. That seems like every movie that comes out. Well, no. I think it's certain situations now. I think that Olivia Wilde is going to be experiencing the same thing this year with Don't Worry Darling, where people sort of feel predisposed to like these things before they're even released. I do think part of it is us getting older and yeah. younger people wanting to be in a... Like, they're coming along and they don't want to see the world as movies are dying, which they kind of are because of superhero movies and so they want to embrace people who are like would-be cinephiles who are on Letterboxd and Twitter talking about movies so they don't want to feel like they're coming into the party when it's ending so they're always going to oversell things and we're always going to be a little bit curmudgeonly oh yeah and be like this this isn't as good or whatever it's not a bad film and I don't hate it okay I would say like the first half is good and then maybe like t- the next 20% is okay and then the final 30% is not good in my opinion but I'm still interested in what he's going to do next he hasn't like lost that status with me yet like a lot of other directors I've loved like Tim Burton for example oh, yeah, yeah. where I couldn't even imagine being interested in a Tim Burton project that anymore that would be tough and there's other ones that are even cooler than Tim Burton that I, I'm almost at a point where like I would shrug at the news, like Sofia Coppola or oh. Wes Anderson even, yeah. where I'm kind of like, am I just not into this anymore? But he hasn't reached that point. But yeah, I do think we probably differ from the majority on us and Nope. Well, you haven't seen Nope yet, but I, I see the slew of four and a half and five stars on Letterboxd for Nope, and I'm like, I, I can't believe that they're seeing this movie and that's like a five-star movie to them yeah 
But I don't know. Maybe the audiences these people were seeing it w- seeing it with were like way more into it, and they're having like a big theatrical moment or something. I don't know. But it just it didn't quite land. Like if you say Get Out is a definitive five star film, then it's insulting to even imply Nope would be anywhere close to that. Okay. In my yeah, opinion, right. That's the easiest way I could say it. Yeah, I get that. All right, folks. Check out Batman. It's always on HBO, it seems like. They got that <laughs> Warner know. Brothers lockdown. This has been a huge Jack Nicholson year for me, which I promised when we did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I've seen a lot of his movies for the first time this year and, and a lot for the second time as well. That's still ongoing. And check out The Dark Knight Rises, which is currently on Netflix, and that's also usually on HBO Max or somewhere. And then Pennywise, The Story of It, which I think you'd have to rent and Harley Quinn Season 3 starting up on HBO Max. New episodes on Thursdays. We will be back hopefully full-time every week. Oh, we, yeah. We've been mapping out a plan for the fall, into the it's fall gonna at least. It's going to be a busy schedule. Yeah. No guarantees, but we're trying to, to do a solid run. We're trying to buckle down. We know we've taken a lot of breaks this year off and on. Life is hard, guys. No, I know, and there's no guarantees. Yeah. You know, there's things that could come up or whatever, but we sort of are trying to have a march to episode 300. We'll see how this all plays out. So thanks for hanging in there with us. Thanks for listening. Follow the show on Twitter, at Greatest Pod. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know if you'd like a free sticker, and we'll send that to you for free. I like how I always say free twice, which I always do. I know, and Let it doesn't us know get any if more like interest. A free sticker, please. <laughs> We're begging you to take one. Please, come on! I got to get those out of my drawer. And find us on Letterboxd. See, I, I'm always thinking ahead. I've always got a plan. Oh yeah. And so, why not just stop giving star ratings on Letterboxd? Because you never know when you're going to have to disagree so wildly from everyone else that you don't want to bring attention to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think it makes more sense to, especially when I watch things for the first time, I, I, I'm less interested in giving them star ratings right off the bat now. It just doesn't feel right to me anymore. No, I hear you. But it also comes in handy, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zach1983, Matt Crosby on there. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next week.
king in town. And now celebrity spokesperson, actress Denise Richards. That's right. I'm an idiot. Surprised? 